Thank you, guys. Please uh, take a seat and keep that uh, passage open, uh, if you uh, will, in front of you in your Bibles. That'll really help as we go through this uh, uh, together. And uh, today we move on to one of the more curious passages in the New Testament, as we begin to get to the end of uh, 1 Timothy, as Paul seems to now want to spend a lot of time talking about widows. And as I hope we'll see this morning, this is a really, really wonderful thing. For what is it that lies right at the heart of the local church that is meant to be godly and look like Jesus? Well, it makes sense that it is the widow, or what the widow represents. That is, someone in need, someone who is alone, someone who is in the church family who requires love, care, time, attention, and godliness displayed to all of them in all of its practical forms. And wasn't that the focus of Jesus' ministry? the lost and the lonely and the dying and the marginalised? And, and, and how did he, the mystery of godliness himself, deal with those people? Well, he got on his hands and knees and he served them. He showed compassion to them. He loved them. It was to these kinds of people, said Jesus, for whom the kingdom of God had come. And so can you see that it makes sense that right at the heart of this letter on what the local church is to be lies these kinds of people who need practical, loving, godly care. If you want to be a local church that is fit for purpose, Timothy, Redeemer, then the godliness that we've been looking at since chapter one, godliness in refuting false teaching, godliness in praying for our leaders, godliness in teaching in our roles and genders in church life, godliness in the leadership, godliness that is centered on the Lord Jesus Christ, all of that godliness has to work out its way practically in the care you show for each other in the church family. And we see that summarized in the introductory verse of this chapter, which actually explains what chapter 5 is all about. Chapter 5, verse 1, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. You see, what is the golden basic rule of godliness? Treat all of the members of the church as if they were part of your literal family. That's the golden rule, because that is what they literally are. In fact, more so, for they are your church family, your heavenly family, the family in the household of the living God, the family, indeed, as we saw last week, that you'll be living with for, for eternity. So don't be heavy-handed, in other words. Don't rebuke harshly. Rather, treat your older men as fathers, your younger men as brothers, your older women as you would treat your own mother, and your younger women as your sisters, in purity, in all godliness. That doesn't mean that hard things can't be said to each other, but, but would I tell an older man in church something he needed to know in the way I would my own father? With love and the deepest of respect. Doing so metaphorically with a bowed head and on bended knee, so to speak. This is where everything in this letter boils down to. Godliness is not displayed in power and hatchet job one-to-one -one sessions. It is displayed in honouring each other in the Lord as family members in Christ, in love and purity, being like Jesus, our example, washing each other's feet and primarily looking after those who most need our care. And that is where we come to our first point of three this morning as we turn to look primarily today at, at widows. For under the golden rule of verses 1 and 2 of respecting, loving, and honouring each other in the church family, point 1, true godliness is displayed in rightly and wisely honouring and caring for those in need. And this is the bulk of the passage this morning from verses 3 to 16, which, if you notice, details quite an extensive programme of care for the widows of the local church. Now, just a comment on this. Why does Paul write so much about widows rather than about people in need generally? Well, mainly because there are genuinely a lot of widowed women 
in first century Israel. A lot of men died early, left a lot of women to have to fend for themselves, and to the fact that widows were seen as all but social outcasts because they had no inheritance really to their name, it was all tied up with their husbands, especially if they weren't left anything. Then you have a huge societal problem. There's a reason why widows are mentioned so much in the Bible, and by Jesus specifically as the example of the poor outcast that the godly person has to help. We know from Acts 6, don't we, there were so many widows coming to Peter and the apostles and the early church for help that they threatened to destabilize the church because there were so many of them. And and so the role of deacon was formed, a specific role was formed to look after the widows. And so it makes sense that each church in the early church would have a good system in place to truly look after them. And in fact, a lot of these churches had physical lists of widows to look after who received payments of money on which they lived. And that's what Paul is talking about here in in, in 1 Timothy 5. He's talking to Timothy about how to maintain a good widow's list for the church for the right gospel reasons. Now, today is different, of course. We have the welfare state. Women have their own money. There are a few parallels with first century Israel in that sense. But the principles of how to look after widows or perhaps our older women in the church family and more broadly, anyone in need in the church family... Well, these are principles that we need to learn from today as a local church. And that's what we have in these verses about widows. We have a detailed program of care that I think is split up into two main principles. The first principle, verses 3 to 8 and verse 16, is that looking after your widows first encourage the widow's own family to take the primacy in looking after their care if they have family to do that. That's our first principle. Look at verses 3 to 4. Honour widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. You see, if there's family present, encourage them to look after their own family member in need. Not because we as a local church want to fob people off who are in need, but because it's a godly principle. Look at the end of verse 4. It is pleasing in the sight of God that that happens. It's what God wants for his families. All the way through the Old Testament, right back to the Ten Commandments, the status of honouring your parents was huge. Commandment number five reads this, honour your father and your mother and you will live a long time in the land. It's the only commandment with a promise, in fact. God wants family units to work out their godliness in looking after each other first because it's a good way to live in God's land, in his kingdom, in his family. And and, and is that not an, an absolutely necessary application to our day and age today? My mother used to work uh, in a nursing home, and I used to help out sporadically over the summer, and the amount of people who were placed there by their young, busy children because they simply didn't have the time or the desire to look after them was heartbreaking. It's not that nursing homes aren't wonderful and absolutely necessary, and often the only place where our elderly family members can be rightly looked after for their own safety, and praise God for them. They do incredible work. But God is very clear through Scripture that the onus is on us, to look after our parents and not to neglect them, to look after the widowed elders in our family, our grandparents. That's the godly way to live and think. Are we Christian families willing to sacrifice our time and our money and our pleasure for the sake of really loving our elder family members and caring for them despite the cost? Because that's a beautiful picture of the gospel. 
That is true godliness. And in this day and age, it really is quite a radical way to behave. And that's what I think Paul is getting at in verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever, because that's how the world behaves. No, no, no. Be a church family, which is made up of family units that all display this godly, practical care for their elders. Encourage men and women in your church to be like Jesus, to, to obey him, to love and care for their own. And thus, verse 16 that releases the church's resources to be able to look after those who genuinely have no one and who really need looking after. If any believing woman has relatives and are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that he may care for those who are truly widows. You see, a lot of these principles are not only godly, but they're, they're, they're just wise. They, they make sense. The church cannot look after absolutely everyone all the time with limited resources. The church has to work out how best to use those resources and, and, and deploy those who are most in need. A lot of you have been talking about church, but Paul is so strategic in the way that he loves people, in the way that he wants to make sure the best and the most needy are most protected most of the time. Incidentally, that's what this term truly widows means. It crops up a lot. It's a warning to Timothy to make wisdom calls about those whom the church should rightly prioritize. For starters, there were those who weren't truly widows. They were trying to pull a fast one. That was something that would have been a lot more, uh, a, a bigger issue for Timothy in his day. But secondly, and more importantly, and this brings us to the second principle, I think, that Paul wants to tease out for us as we care for those in need. And that is your priority, Timothy, are those widows who display godliness in the church family and who are willing to learn how to be more godly themselves. In other words, first principle, if you like, encourage the family unit to show godliness in their taking priority of care for their own widows and elders. Secondly, however, those widows you do look after, encourage them to grow in godliness so that they are, as they are looked after by the church, especially those who already have a good standing in the church family. And we see that in verses 5 and 6, and then from the rest of the passage to 9.16. Let me read verse 5. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, she has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. And likewise, in verses 9 to 13, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation of good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, cared for the afflicted, devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. Now, these are quite some weird verses this morning. Let me explain them. The point here, can you see the mark that Timothy is to look for in determining the right pastoral care? It, it, it's not just need, but it is also godliness. These women, verse 5, who display prayerfulness and hope in Jesus, they are your priority, Timothy, rather than those dead, self-indulgent widows who desire no gospel growth. Enroll widows who have a good reputation for the gospel in the church family, Timothy, verse 10. But don't enroll those who lie and are sinful and idle and have no love for Jesus. By the way, and this is worth saying, Paul isn't saying in verse 11 that uh, younger widows who remarry are sinning and they lose their faith. That's very, very important. He's not forbidding remarriage here. He can't because he advocates remarriage in verse 14. What appears to be happening in Ephesus is that young widows are pledging themselves not to remarry in order to get themselves on these income lists. 
And as soon as they do, they fall in love and they remarry again and they break that pledge, thus taking money from the church that belonged to a true widow. The term former faith here in verse 12, that's actually better translated in the NIV as, as former pledge. They've abandoned that pledge to the church that they wouldn't remarry. So, so these young women were perhaps taking the church for a ride. And not only that, verse 13, their brazenness is sort of spilling over into other sins that are destroying the church. No, don't waste your time and money on them who are behaving badly. Indeed, says Paul, actively encourage them to get married again. It'll be a really wonderful thing for them so that they don't fall into these kind of sins and, and burden the church. You might have more questions on that. Feel free to come back to me afterwards. But let's step back a little bit from this, for this all can sound very strange. It sounds like Paul is putting a stipulation here that only the most godly can be looked after by the church. And those who aren't godly, well, they're not truly in need and we can dispense with them. Well, that's not what's going on here at all, I don't think. Indeed, it cannot be that Paul is saying here that the church shouldn't be looking after those who aren't Christians. Jesus commands us to love and care for the lost and to love our neighbours and our enemies. Not doing that as Christians is a sin. Neither is it that only the super godly are to be looked after by the church, like some kind of wretched private spiritual health care system that you sort of top up with your good deeds and the best do-gooders get the best care. That's not what's going on here. Again, it's about the priority of the church. And your priority as a church, Timothy, the golden rule that we've just looked at in terms of our pastoral care for each other from verse 1 and 2 is our own family, our mothers in the faith those who have honoured God in their lives among you, those who have given their lives to the household of God and are known for it, love those people well. Start with them, says Paul. They are your precious ones. And I'm looking at you group over here very deliberately. You are our precious ones. You're the people that we're meant to love and die for. That's the priority of the church. Our charge as elders is to protect you, first of all, and to protect you, Redeemer, first of all. And that's not controversial. That's true. I have to spend more time in sacrificing myself for your care as a family and your spiritual and physical needs than I do actually anyone else in this community. That's just true. It would be wrong of me to be spending all my time on someone who has no interest in church life, whom none of us know, who hates Jesus, has no intention to follow the gospel, getting their physical needs met when I'm neglecting all of you. That cannot happen, says Paul to Timothy. You'd be right to pull me up on that. In fact, you would have to. You are my priority. Pastorally, you are the sheep placed under my care, under the Lord Jesus, and I have to answer to him for you. Are there people we should be looking after in this community? Many. Is there a lot that we can be doing for them? Much. Should we help them? We are commanded to. That is our mission to constantly be in our neighbours' houses, to be helping them, showing outrageous care for them, sacrificing ourselves for their felt needs and sharing the gospel with them. But, but your priority, the priority for me, for Timothy it, and the elders in the local church setting is you, God's family. There's something else going on here. More than that, it's not just true that these godly women are women who are going to example to all the others that are helped, Christians and non-Christians, what receiving help from the local church should produce. They're going to example what should be produced when receiving help from the local church. And what is that? Godliness. And not selfishness. These widows are going to show to the rest of the church family, especially the younger folk under them, and those of you who are young here this morning, those of you who are at school, it is these guys that you are to be watching. Those are the people that you may always be keeping in your eye line going, I want to be like her. 
They are the examples of your faith. And that is what godly widows are meant to exemplify. In other words, these are the women who are going to example the reality that pastoral care in the true godly local church of the living God should always result in, and that is spiritual progress all the time. For it's one thing meeting a person's material, physical needs, but when we do that, are we always meeting their spiritual needs as well? In our practical care for each other in the church family, especially for those nearing the end of their life, are we constantly teaching the truth and loving them in the truth of the words of the Lord Jesus that spurs these godly women and godly men, these godly needy people to further godliness and perseverance? You see, the bigger pool that, the point that Paul is making here is, Timothy, make sure that you're not just looking after your widow's physical needs, but their spiritual ones as well. You, you want to encourage your older folk, Timothy 2 verse 5, set their hopes on God. Not to be looked after practically by you, uh, just in order, verse 6, to perpetuate their sin and to become self-indulgent. Or to see them just give up and not bother really following Jesus anymore. Or to see them fall into the idea of, oh, I'm retired, I've done my time, and I'm going to sink into church care and while away my days getting exactly what I'm owed. I, I can imagine as an old person, uh, knowing the worst version of myself, that that is exactly what I would want for myself. I'm quite a lazy person at heart, and it would be easy for me to turn around in my 80s, if I ever get there, the, the jury's very much out on that, and say, you know what, I've given my best years to the church. I've fought their battles. I'm owed pastoral retirement. The church owes me. Too right, I'm going to be enrolled on this here list. And, uh, and I'm going to spend my last day being served and just whiling away for eternity like a curmudgeonly old man. Well, no, says Paul, that's not pastoral care. Your aim as the household of God is to be the pillar and buttress of the truth. That's your priority. Even more than meeting people's felt needs is, is meeting their spiritual needs, their eternal needs with God's truth, moving these folk from their own sin and selfishness, the much greater problem that they face in life than their widowhood and turn them into these loving people who love God in their older age through prayer and hope. In other words, you must not neglect their spiritual health, Timothy. Teach them the true gospel that we've been swimming in since chapter 1. People in need are not just community projects for the church to, good, to do good to. They are eternal beings who need looking after and encouraged into eternity with their hope in God in their last days. Are we a church who does that? Who opens a Bible as we meet someone's practical needs, who shares the gospel with those who are hurting all the time, who talk about Jesus alongside our practical and physical godly care. There'll be some of the things that we might be looking at together as leaders and growth group leaders over the next term as we do that. Are we a church that is always wanting to see spiritual progress and godliness in those that we help, not just the material comfort? I need to get better at this, and I want to thank all of you, and you know who you are, who help me with this. A great many churches do a great deal of good for a great deal of needy people, and that is great. But a great many of these same churches never share the gospel with those in need, and that is bad. That's the wrong priority, says Paul. Don't leave your widows and those in need spiritually dead. Get them loving the Lord Jesus as you walk alongside them as Jesus did. And for those of you who are older in the church, can you see the example laid out for you here in these verses? Those of you who are older, can you see what you are meant to be like? That in Jesus' local church family, there is no retirement from godliness. There is no retirement from striving to be more like Jesus every day. There's no retirement from doing good, from being an example, from showing off God's incredible beauty in you 
as we marvel at your faithfulness and at how God has kept you through the years, as we grow to be desperate just to be like you in our futures. We need you. I remember the most important people in my life when I was a student seeking to go into ministry were older women. All of them were older women. They were in their 80s, all widowed, who were looked after by the church, and they prayed for me every single day, who wrote me letters of encouragement. Isn't that amazing? Who exampled sacrifice and irrepressible godliness. Be that to us here at Redeemer. We need it. Not because you'll be any less loved, not because... Godliness is what saves you, not because you owe us anything, but because we want to encourage you to keep going and endure in the Lord and enjoy your days and to help those of us coming after you to see that there is a future to gain and a perseverance to enjoy. Point one, true godliness is displayed in rightly and wisely honouring and caring for those in need. Moving on very quickly, it's not just those in need who are to be looked after and honoured, but point two, true godliness is displayed in rightly and wisely honouring and caring for the elders. Now, I think these verses are harder to preach than the ones that hold my feet to the fire. It's harder preaching a passage that holds your feet to the fire a little bit, as far as I or the elders are concerned. But this is what these verses contain in a gentle way. Not only are widows to be honoured and those in need, but also the elders are to be honoured. And it's not me saying this, it's the words of Jesus through Paul. A true godly church is marked by the way the congregation treat her elders and speak about her elders and look after her elders. Even in the way, verse 19, they bring charges against their elders. Verses 19 and 20 absolutely shows that the elders are not an untouchable elite. I hope and pray that I have been passionate enough and honest enough with you through 1 Timothy to prove that I, we as elders, know that that is true. If we believe we were, 1 Timothy isn't the book that we should be preaching. It is right that you can bring things to light in front of us publicly, verse 19, that need to come to light. Persistent, unrepentant sin should and must be publicly dealt with where the elders are concerned. And that puts the fear of God into me. And it should. That's literally the point, verse 20. But in a church that is striving to be godly in its leadership, is the church reacting in kind in their honour of their elders? What does that honour look like? Well, much like we would honour a parent, is the church ready to look after her elders? Is the true godly local church ready to defend her elders when they come under attack? Is it quick to forgive them when a mistake is made and repentance is shown? Is it quick to encourage them, quick to help them? And when charges are brought, that they're not brought frivolously by people throwing potshot at elders every five minutes, accusing them week in, week out on spurious things. That's what verse 19 means. But the accusations of real concern are dealt with well within the body of the church and taken deeply seriously. Ultimately, is the church ready to seriously remunerate its elders, especially those who labour in preaching and teaching? That's me and Will. And on this, I cannot thank you enough for being a church where this is always being honoured. I cannot thank you enough for being a church that sacrifices your giving in order for me and my family to live. I don't mean to be melodramatic. That's just true. That's just, that's just the reality of, of what's happening in our church environment. You are doing this. The same for Will and Sarah. We're grateful, and we've got the opportunity to thank you for that publicly from the word of God this morning. And, and I only hope that I'm somehow paying that back to you, and I beg your forgiveness if you feel I'm not. I always want to change, if that is the case. And I deeply hope I do. For that is a local church of God's family that is displaying true godliness. A family that loves her elders. 
not where hard things can't be said to her elders. We will and do get things wrong, and we need to put those things right. But is the true local church a church that enjoys using her elders for sport, or, or are they respected? But as ever, where Paul lands in these passages is not actually with you, but with me. Being charged again, verse 21, to have to do all this myself, to look after the widows, those in need, and to help look after my fellow elders and honour them without prejudice, without partiality, and with cautious wisdom, and terrifyingly to do it all in front of the host of the angels of Jesus in front of the presence of God himself. No pressure. Paul never lets Timothy off the hook. And he never stops reminding Timothy that this is serious. It's God's house and Jesus is watching. And the way Paul charges Timothy to honour the elders here, have you noticed in verses 22 to 25, it is not to make too many elders too quickly. The temptation for Timothy to perhaps pack his eldership with pals who were on his side might have been quite great, given what was going on in Ephesus with all this false teaching. And Paul says, no, that's not honouring those new elders. Don't lay your hands on your friends too quickly. You don't know what their besetting sins might be, verse 24. Some sins don't come up till later in life. Give good men good time to prove themselves, because being an elder that deserves this honour from the church, it is a heavy charge indeed. Don't be too hasty. Get your elders in place slowly, carefully, over time, and with good standing publicly in front of the church. That is how you honour your elders, Timothy. Take care with them. Your job is hard enough. The job is hard enough as it is without you slamming people into place when they're not ready and they're going to muck up and they're going to have to answer for it publicly. That's not fair. Sort yourself out first, Timothy, verse 23. You're, you're stressed and you're ill. Get better. Have some brandy. Settle your stomach. Don't keep going off half-cocked or panicked and stressed, making yourself sick. I'm perhaps overreaching a bit too wildly that that's what Paul means here. But, but I can imagine that that's what he's saying to me. Sort yourself out first. Calm down. And Timothy, once you've done that, then keep yourself steady and take time to know your leaders, see their good works, take each day as it comes. It's normal godly wisdom laced with simple godliness. It's a heavy charge, but it makes perfect sense. Are we a church that honours our elders? Am I an elder that deserves that honour? Am I a minister who is also honouring my elders in the way I care for them and protect them? And are we all displaying godliness in these areas of life? However, there's one more group, curiously, that deserves honour. And this is actually where Paul ends his segment on practical care. Incredibly, chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it involves our bosses. Lastly, point three, true godliness is displayed in honouring and respecting our masters in the world. Just read those verses again with me. Let all who are under a yoke of slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honour, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the grounds that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. In short, where ultimately should our honouring of each other fall out into? Well, it should fall out into the world. The honour we show for our older godly folk and those in need, the honour that we show our elders, well, that should be replicated in the way that we honour our bosses. Or again, for those of you here at school, for your teachers, believers or not. In fact, the implication here is that we're more likely not to bother honouring our believing bosses or our believing teachers because of over-familiarity. Oh, it's only Bob from church. I don't need to work very hard for him. There's nothing he can do about it because I have to meet him in church every Sunday. Or it's only Mrs Morgan from my Sunday school class. What does she know? No, says Paul, these are your brothers and sisters in the faith who are authority over you. Honour them as you would honour each other in the church family. 
because your bond is closer. Let let your church honouring of each other spill over into your work relationships with each other in the world. However, what is the ultimate reason for honouring our bosses, most of whom won't be believers? Verse 1, so that the name of God and the teaching of the gospel may not be reviled. You see, guys, we draw to a close. Is our behaviour in the church family affecting our behaviour in the world? For the one will always affect the other. If you treat your elders badly in church, you are likely not to respect your bosses and the gospel will be maligned. If you treat your elderly and the widow and those in need without thought or care or wisdom or compassion, then you're not going to be showing any of those traits to your neighbours and the gospel will be maligned, you see? That's why this chapter is here. For this family is where we as Christians learn our trade, our trade of sacrificial love, wise, discerning pastoral care for each other, the honouring and the speaking well of each other in every part of life, of godliness, which then bubbles over in how I love the world, which in turn, verse 1 of chapter 6, begins to bear real gospel fruit. The watchword of 1 Timothy is godliness. The watchword of pastoral ministry is godliness. And the watchword of the church in the world is godliness. And striving for godliness at home amongst us is how we become more and more the pillar and buttress of God's truth in the world, holding out his gospel to a godless world that desperately needs to hear it. Let me pray for us as we close. Father God, we thank you and praise you so much for your goodness uh, to us through your Son and through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for these wonderful principles we've been looking at this morning. There's so much more in here. Forgive me for having missed things out. We just pray that we would take these principles and really run with them, that we would really, really look after those older folk in our care, in our church, that we would look after the widow, that we look, would look after those who are bereaved, who are lost, who are hurting, who, who, who are in desperate need of help and practical support and physical care. But Heavenly Father, I pray that we would always be more worried about people's spiritual health, that we would never leave uh, uh, the, the, the gospel undefended to the people that we want to look after. Father, I pray that we would be good at that in this local church family. Father, help me to get better at this. Lord, help us to be working hard with each other in being a church that is pastorally fit for purpose and looks after people well. And those in our community, Lord, we, we think very much of the way that we should be helping our community, uh, that those of us around us uh, as neighbours help us to be good Christian people. Help us to be good Christians as we carry the care of the Lord Jesus Christ into those homes, into our neighbours, and sharing the gospel with them. Father, help us to love each other while we pray. Help this church be known by our love for each other. Lord, forgive me for the things that I've got wrong as, as, I, as I look at the mirror of, of, of this letter from Paul to, to me. Help me to put things right. May it be that we are a church that loves each other well and forgives each other quickly and moves on, wanting to be more godly in the world as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.